like a God. And every time that I sing a song or I read a verse or I just stand outside, I can't help but recognize your work and your plan and the hand that you had in creating everything that we walk on, everything that we breathe. Lord, your plan has been in action since the beginning of time. And I just pray that I can be a part of that. So thank you, Lord, for accepting me into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die for us. Thank you for that amazing gift of grace that covers all of our sins. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So we will be uh, moving into a time of offering. <coughs> Sorry, I went on the hike this morning, and so when you, like, do a lot of exercise, your voice is, like, not uh, wanting to do what it needs to do. So here we are. <laughs> um, we're moving into a time of offering um, and giving, and so this slide should have a few ways that you can give. Um, you can give in person, and we have a box in the back for that. You can give online um, at the website listed or through a phone number. Visit the Common Ground website to give and maybe stop by a few other tabs and see some events and check out the website, you know? Um, yeah, so we're going to be moving into this time of offering and we're singing the song, I Stand Amazed, um, which, you know, part of offering is offering yourself, your whole self. Um, giving all of your voice and all of the power that it holds to God um, and just being able to be in the presence of Jesus to give yourself to him. Um, so when we're singing this song, I know it sounds weird, but I want, I want you to use your whole voice, your whole body, your whole soul to sing this song. Um, give, give, that up to, give that up to the Lord with an open hand.
just, you gave your son to us. You asked him to die on a cross. You asked him to be screamed at by his people um, in order to save our souls, in order to cover our sins. And so in response to that gift that you've given to us, um, I give you all of me. I give you my future. I give you my singing in my soul in the moment. I give of my time and I give of my funds, but I just want to give you all of me, Lord. So take it. Take me. Take us. Take common ground. Take all of your followers over the whole globe and show, show us, direct us, give us your plan for our lives so that we can follow you um, in trust and in faith. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, team. Thank you for leading. It is at this time that we are going to continue in worship. As we transition into our prayer time, and here at Common Ground, we set aside time in the middle of our worship gatherings on Sundays to pray with and for one another. Um, one of the reasons is because we believe in being active participants in worship, that this is not just something we're coming um, to watch, but we want to be active and participating in it and inviting you guys into it, as well as just entering into the presence of God. This is a time to come before the throne, to come before God, and it's a time to be authentic with one another, um, to bring our hurts, to bring our joys, to bring the things that we're celebrating um, God's work in our lives about, or the things that we are asking God to do, and this is the time to do that. And so we will assign Joey to run the mic around <laughs> um, to take requests, but I also, um, so feel free to share any requests that you have, but I also want to give us um, a little bit of direction as well, uh, maybe something to think about. And especially it's fitting on Easter to consider the first sharing of the resurrection and just how it was received um, and just what everyone thought about it. Because the resurrection, I think, as Christians, if you've believed in Jesus for a while, we might kind of take for granted just how significant or just how kind of world-shattering it is. Um, because when the resurrection was first shared, and we talked about this on the hike this morning, um, the group of women that had gone to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body uh, saw the angel, and the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is alive. He's risen from the grave. And so these women ran back, and they told the disciples that Jesus is alive. He wasn't there. And Luke chapter 24 records that these women's words to the disciples seemed like nonsense. It seemed like nonsense that Jesus would actually be alive. And you had to go on the 5 a.m. hike this morning to learn what the Greek word for nonsense is there. Um, but some translations, instead of nonsense, will say garbage or rubbish or just, it's made up. It must have been full of it. Um, and we recognize, as we have gone through the book of Hebrews as a church for the last few weeks, that God often calls his people to these things that don't always make sense. Last week we were in Hebrews 11, and it was the hall of faith, right? It was a recording of all of these different people who believed in God, and they understood that he was the God who could do the impossible, and then they believed God when he called them to do things. And so like Abraham and Sarah um, they were told that they were going to have kids when Sarah was in her 80s and Abraham was in his 90s. And Sarah laughed at God when he said that because to her it seemed like nonsense, right? But nonetheless, um, God is the one who makes those things happen. And when God speaks, that he follows through. 
um, with what he does. And so last week, after Hebrews 11, um, we put the question out to all of you, uh, what is God calling you to do? Maybe God is calling some of us um, to step out in faith and to follow him um, into a new career or into an old career to stay there or something. Maybe he's calling you to share the gospel with one of your friends, family members. Uh, Maybe he is calling you um, to stop a destructive sin pattern in your life or to start a ministry to be more involved in a ministry. And we just left that up to you of what God is calling you to do. And so during this time, um, feel free to give any requests that you might have. But I also want to put it out there as well um, to you guys. uh, What might God be calling you to do? Um, What might God be calling you to do? That might seem like nonsense um, that maybe you're afraid to do. And so in this time, you would like to ask for the faith and the courage to follow through. We asked for some examples on our hike this morning, and we just asked, okay, if, if you could do anything for the Lord without the fear of death in the picture, what would you do? And we had answers all the way from, you know, preaching the gospel to gangsters on the street to, like, running into war zones, and Ben is apparently just going to carry out people on his shoulders, um, or just starting orphanages and not worrying about finances, just being generous and not worrying about ever being short, um, and stepping out in faith and doing what the world would typically call nonsense. But the resurrection changes all that, and what seems like nonsense to the world is actually the best thing that we could do. And so I want to open the floor to you guys. How is it that we can pray for you? What is it that God might be calling you to in this season? I'm good? Okay. Hi. You're so good, Laura. Um, If you guys could pray for the Munson family. Uh, They're going through a lot right now. Uh, Illness with uh, Eric and Allie's trying to get better and they just had to put their dad in the hospital um i think he probably has sepsis and he's um awaiting a partial amputation of his foot so uh, a lot going on there if we could just Mm. lift them up that'd be great and also you guys have been praying for my dad for a long time if you could continue that prayer it looks like there is no surgical intervention to the Mm -hmm. nerve pain in his face and it looks like probably just medication intervention, which he has been fighting this whole time. So he -hmm. needs a lot of prayer there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lori. Thank you for sharing that. Been praying for your dad for a while now. Keep doing that. You guys could pray for the Rogg family. They miss Sandy Rogg. It's a very close friend of my family's. She's had cancer and multiple times in the last 20 years and she's having a rebound and we're all preparing for the worst Mm -hmm. yeah we pray for the Rock family sure hi my cousin Jeff just lost his uh, son his 37 year old son to Fentanyl-laced OxyContin. Uh, my cousin Jeff is not a believer, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to wrap my head around that. So, like some prayer for him. Yeah. Um, my friend Barney was just killed a couple weeks ago, and he suffered from mental illness. So we need to pray for him and all the people that are out there right now suffering from mental illness. And I also want to pray for the guy who is also a good friend whose house that he died in. 
and I'd like to pray for the police that were there and, and, and had to do that. So let's just keep doing all of our prayers. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you, Ted. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about the fire at the Old Wrist Brothers out in Blackhawk. Um, I don't know if there was people there that lost their jobs or not, but could you pray for those families that mm-hmm. may or may not have lost work? Yeah. Pretty big shakeup that that would cause in my life. Yeah, Antonia. Um, I have a couple of prayer requests this morning. Um, the first is for my dad. Um, we uh, called last weekend, and um, I doubt that we'll be talking again for a while. We had a bit of a falling out again. Um, it was good. There was honesty. God was there in the conversation, um, and hopefully um, is starting to work on my dad's heart in a real way. Um, so just prayers that God will continue doing whatever he's doing um, to let my dad know that he's got mm. him covered. Um, and then prayers also for um, the surgery that I had a couple weeks ago that I haven't been at church for because of that. Uh, <laughs> stitches come out Wednesday. <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully that everything's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just prayers that that would go well. Mm-hmm. Pray for continued healing with that. Healing all around. I want to ask prayers for my cousin Kevin. Um, he lives in Texas and he has been having a rough time of it recently with divorce and the death of my grandmother in November. He's been taking that really hard and he's not a believer. And every time someone brings it up to him, he's just like, well, that's great for you, but it's not for me. And I think we all think that he could find a lot of peace. In Jesus Christ, so just pray that He would be working in His heart. Yeah, I'll pray for Kevin. Then. Pray for Kevin. Thank you, Ben. Uh, um, I'm Tatiana again. So uh, today, of course, I wanted to um, bring uh, praise God for. Uh, he's answering our prayers about um, my brother's family and also uh, praise him for all the miracles he mm. was doing. Um, basically, we're going to help my family any anyway. So we were sending volunteers. Mm. We've been calling uh, all over, but the God is... Uh, was um, leading them and helping them carry delivering them from Mariupol and so I'm just thank, thankful for your prayers mm-hmm. thank you man yeah that's good to hear good to hear that they're doing okay that you're able to reconnect and contact them scary situation yeah so I have some uh, praise for the Lord um Emily, my girlfriend, uh, she's been struggling with the house and with her mom and all that stuff. And she finally is going to be moving in um, t- on Tuesday. So she got an apartment mm-hmm. um, and there's a therapist that's opened up for her and her mom's being a lot more reasonable. So the situation's just on an upturn. So prayers for it to keep going that way. You know, right. praise for, you know, the bad situation that's been, mm-hmm. you know, getting a lot better. Oh, that's great. Thank you for the update. It's good to hear. It's two in a row, these things that we've been praying about. Um, we'd like to pray that the world will find a creative 
solution so that we don't have World War III. Pray for that, praying for peace. There is obviously a lot of suffering that's going on and, and a lot of pain even among our members. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what you started with, that uh, if God's calling you to do anything, don't let the fear of finances block mm. that. Um, we've been basically on a faith mission since 1983. <laughs> I'm always trying to lose weight, <laughs> so uh, we've never gone hungry. God always provides, uh, not always in our timing, but he always provides. And so if God's calling you to open an orphanage, do it. Mm. Uh, don't let finances stand in the way, because God's bigger than that. Mm. Amen. Thanks for that encouragement, Mark. That's one way to look at that you're not going hungry, right? Hello. Um, <laughs> I am going to be leaving to California for Pure Bean stuff on Saturday. I'm going to be gone for mm. three weeks. And so I'm really excited. Um, pray that there are lots of cool opportunities, get to talk to a lot of new people mm -hmm. while I'm there. But I'm going to miss you guys a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> just, keep, just keep it to three weeks, all right? Yeah, Kara in the back. Or... Oh. I didn't see the order. Go ahead. Try to be invisible back here. It's not a contest. So, um, I just heard that the Hope Center had has hired someone. I believe they're going to be fully staffed now. If we could just um, pray for them, pray for the Hope Center and for the person that is now going to be there. It's not an easy job, but it's very, very rewarding. Hmm. So, um, yeah, just prayers for them. Yeah, yeah. Praying for the Hope Center. The work that they do is very important. That's one of the reasons it is so difficult. Right. Hello. Um, my mom just yesterday um, made a pretty big decision. Um, so recently her cancer is stable. <laughs> But um, based on kind of what the doctor's been saying, we've been praying a lot on what her future holds. And she has decided that she wants to try an alternative. Um, so we are going to be traveling down to Yuma, Arizona, right across the border into Mexico to try a white blood cell therapy. Um, so we are just praising God that right now that the cancer is stable. But mm -hmm. this is our miracle like this is our chance and so we just want to ask for prayers that something good will come from this yeah. yeah well guys um on that note can we turn to god in prayer um, so here's what i would like us to do uh if you remembered um, one of these requests or if there's someone sitting near you who did make a request um could we kind of group up and so some of you um, can come join the portos over here and we're going to spend some time uh, praying over these requests that have been shared. Uh, some of you I know have written them down. If you haven't, that's totally fine. It's not important that we get to every single one in this moment. Um, but let's turn to God with the ones that he has brought to our mind. And so I'm going to give you time 
Now, um, to group up, if there's someone near you that did share, or if there's just someone sitting next to you that you'd like to pray with, um, I would just group up right now during this time and pray for whichever ones the Holy Spirit brings to mind. Okay? So with that, I'm going to go ahead and start us and pray, and we'll give it a few minutes, and then I will conclude us. So let's go ahead, and let's turn to the Lord during this time. Well, Father, God, and Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, we just come before you. Um, we just pause. Um, we just recognize um, the hurt and the pain that we face in this world. Um, on Resurrection Sunday, we just recognize that your kingdom has come, um, that you have freed us from fear of death, you have defeated um, the devil, but we still live in this in-between time. We're still awaiting your return. And so, God, in the meantime, we just thank you for being a God who promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. You've promised your spirit with us, that even when Jesus told his disciples he was going to be leaving, he was going to be dying on the cross for them, that he promised he would send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate, to be with us. And so we just thank you for your presence in this room and for being with us to comfort us. And during this time, uh, would you bring to mind um, the requests that you are calling us to pray for? We just give this time up to you. So it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So feel free to move around and join one another in prayer.
So, Father God, we just thank you that on this Resurrection Sunday that we just see the bright light that is Christ's life, um, even if it's up against this dark backdrop, God. Um, We just see you shining brightly. Would you continue to empower us with the hope that we have of eternal life with you? We just thank you for the reality that, that our eternal life begins now, that we get to know you and live with you today. And so would your spirit just be close? Would you continue to bring us closer to yourself, to know you in a real, tangible sense? And God, we just lift these requests up to you. We thank you that you are the God who hears. Um, and as we go through this next week, would you just continue to bring to mind just Lori and the Munsons, the Rock family, Ted and his family, and all that they're going through, um, just all the, the people that are affected by this fire, for Anthony and her family, for Ben and his cousin, for Tatiana and just her family in the Ukraine. And we just praise you for what you're doing in that situation. Um, for Emily, for Kathleen and her, her prayer request, God, and just all these requests that we have brought to you, we just thank you for being the God who hears all of them. Will you continue to form us into a people of prayer? And now, God, as you have listened to us, we just turn our attention to you. We turn our attention to hear what it is that you have to say. And so would you speak through Nick during this time? And would you just anoint him with your spirit to, to teach your word to us, um, to guide us into the way that you are calling us to live, and the difference that your resurrection made? Because, Jesus, we just turn our attention to you. And no matter what comes in our lives, um, whether good or bad, or the confusing in between, uh, we just want our eyes fixed on you in all circumstances. And so, Jesus, would you just be loud and clear? Um, Would you just be obvious in this next time? And we give you our attention. So it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, Evan. Well, as Evan said, my name is Nick, and I am the pastoral sidekick in residence here. And uh, I get the fun job on Easter morning to be the introduction to uh, Pastor Evan's sermon. Uh, We're doing kind of a before and after look at uh, one of our good friends in the Bible, a man by the name of Simon Peter. And uh, looking at the story of Simon Peter uh, on Resurrection Sunday or the days after that, we kind of have to go back a little bit to really appreciate what happens with the resurrection. Um, we, we have to go back to um, one of probably Peter's darkest day that he ever had. And I, I am so grateful that Jesus called this professional fisherman who pretty much had his foot in his mouth more than on the ground, uh, more often than, than not, because he's, I would say, the most relatable character in the Bible, okay? Uh, most people I talk to, whenever we talk about the different disciples, uh, almost everybody goes, oh yeah, I really like Simon Peter. Why? Because uh, I'm just like him. And he really is. He's kind of the everyman of the Bible. So the story that we look at and his relationship with Jesus, um, I, I think, is one that should somehow be relevant to every single one of us in this room, uh, if not the entire world. Uh, so if you would join me in John chapter 18, uh, that's the passage we want to start with today. I better make sure I get the right notes. I'll start preaching Evan's notes up here and you know, well, it might be good. <laughs> no, okay. Um, so as I was listening to those prayer requests, and I, I thought about all the things that people are dealing with in life and how heavy 
these things are. Uh, I also began to think about, well, we all have expectations on how we think God ought to answer those prayers, right? And uh, sometimes um, God's answers and our expectations don't match up. And when that happens, you know, when life's kind of punching you in the teeth like that, and, and, and then the, the answer is different than what we expect, that can be one of those things that can really rattle our faith, you know, can really kind of rock us back in our heels in our spiritual life. And uh, I, I just want to start off by saying that I think that every single person that God calls to himself, at some point, uh, he will rock them back on their heels, uh, he will uh, change their perspective of who he is and who we are in him because, I don't know about you, like I said, we're all like Simon Peter and sometimes we get the wrong ideas in our head about God or about ourselves and God in his mercy is going to not leave us that way. He's going to correct us. But it could be a difficult time of going through what I call deconstruction in order that some reconstruction can happen. So to start us off, about 24 years ago, my wife and I, we bought a house, a house that we raised our kids in. And the previous owners of that house, for whatever reason, made this incredible decision to put black carpeting in the upstairs bathroom. Okay? So I'm just going to tell you right now, if any of you live in a house where you have carpeting and you put it there in your bathroom, okay, you just need to repent. All right? That's, that is not a good idea. So uh, I did not know. I'm not a, I was not a very handy guy when we moved into this house, but this house kind of forced me to become one. And uh, so I, I said, that's it. I'm, I'm getting rid of that carpeting. And when I got rid of the carpeting, I saw the floor underneath, the, the linoleum that was there. And I said, oh, that's it. I'm getting rid of that linoleum. So I peeled up that linoleum to find another layer of linoleum. Okay, now you got to think about this. There's a toilet that for I don't know how long, probably since that house has been built, has been sitting on a layer of carpeting and two layers of linoleum. Okay, so I, I got all the way down to the subflooring and I looked at the subflooring and I said, now I got to take the subflooring out. Okay, because a toilet will not sit as it's properly supposed to be seated on that kind of layer of, of flooring there. And uh, you, then I realized when I got the subflooring out, I've got to replace some floor joists. I had to sister up some floor joists there. How one of us did not end up in the basement bathroom <laughs> sitting on a toilet and having a very embarrassing moment uh, is was got to be God's miracle uh, be, that that did not fall through like that. Now, had I tore all that stuff apart, and i got to tell you, I was just a little bit tempted because this was a job that was becoming very overwhelming to me. All I wanted to do was get rid of that black carpeting, and it turned into something so much more. Uh, had I just uh, got down to that big hole in the floor and, and everything and said, well, that's it, I'm done, I probably wouldn't be married today. <laughs> all that deconstruction had to be done in order for some reconstruction to occur. Um, I know, like, Ted, you like old classic vehicles and stuff like that. And anybody that's going to restore a vehicle, you know, you, you have to pretty much rip them apart. Oh, there's a knock in the engine. Sounds like a bad lifter. You know, and next thing you know, the engine is all in pieces on the garage floor. And then they put it back together the way it's supposed to be. And if there's rust in the body or something, they'll, go, they'll tear that thing apart to make sure they get all the rust because they want to restore this vehicle. 
and reclaim it to what its original purpose was. And if we understand that as human beings doing do-it-yourself projects at home or car restorations or something like that, uh, maybe that will help us to understand that God does that in the lives of, of, of people as well. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. There's this prophet named Elijah. And you, you might remember the story in 1 Kings 18 where the prophet Elijah has this showdown with all these uh, false prophets, the prophets of Baal in Israel. And uh, he's kind of had it. He's, he's at that point where he says, okay, we have to decide, Israel, which God is our God. So let's have a little showdown here. He says, I invite you prophets of Baal to, to come. We're going to offer a sacrifice. And whichever God takes that sacrifice, and that's who we're going to worship. And, and, and so he says, I'll tell you what, ooh, there's 400 of you. Wow, okay, thanks for all showing up. Um, not intimidating at all. You guys start. You go first. And uh, these guys whipped themselves up into a frenzy that went to complete exhaustion, and Baal never took the sacrifice, never took it. And so Elijah, he steps up, the prophet of God, right? He gets up there and he says, okay, let's go on this. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's kind of like the street magician that really wants to make the trick even harder. He says, what do you say we just soak everything here? Get as much water as we can, and let's saturate the sacrifice. Let's make sure that the, the stones that the altar's made out of are absolutely wet. The, the channels that collect the blood from the sacrifice, that they're filled up with water and everything. And yeah, let's, let's just make this as hard as we can, all right? And then he gets up and he prays, and he says, God, you know, here we are, and you're our God. Will you show yourself to us? And Fire comes down out of heaven, uh, consumes the sacrifice, disintegrates the rocks, evaporates all the moisture that was in the ground. And Elijah's like, yeah. Okay? A couple days later, he's running for his life from a woman named Jezebel. What happened to Elijah? I think a little bit of deconstruction. He fled from Israel, went all the way back to the the mountain where Moses met with God to receive the commandments and the covenant for Israel, and uh, hid himself probably in the same cave that Moses got tucked into when God passed by. And, uh, and then we know the rest of the story that when God showed up to him and he took care of him there, he says, why don't you just take, some, take a rest, Elijah, have a few naps. And oh, by the way, here's some food I made for you while you were napping. And isn't that cool? God's mercy to a broken man. And, and what's going on in Elijah is he needed to recalibrate his understanding about who God was and who he was. Because he had this idea that God was this fire and brimstone, power from heaven sort of guy. But God says, look, I don't operate like that all the time. That's not, you know, that's not my default setting. And he says, there's, there's other things that I've got to do. And so he calls Elijah to come out and to experience him. But Elijah, he stays in the cave. He goes, oh, there's, there's an earthquake. God must be in the earthquake, but God wasn't. Oh, there's a mighty wind, and it was actually tearing the rocks off the mountain, and, but God wasn't in the wind. And then there was fire. Okay, that's what he did back at the altar. So that, nope, God's not there either. And then suddenly there's this gentle whisper, and that's where God was, in the whisper. And finally, Elijah comes out of the, the cave and covers his face. Because God's passing by, just like he did with Moses. And, and then he kind of goes through this thing. He's like, God, I'm not the only one that's been standing up for you. Everybody else has abandoned you. you know, they're, they're just rotten Christians, and I'm the only good Christian, and I'm the only one that knows what I'm doing, and, and I'm all alone. And God says, uh, actually, there's about 7,000 other prophets 
that are still serving me, Elijah. And so what happened in that moment was God gave Elijah a bigger picture of who he was, God, but he also corrected Elijah's perspective about himself. You know, from I'm the only one to, oh, I'm one of 7,000. And sometimes that's what we need. That's part of our deconstruction is to realize God is bigger than we sometimes think he is, or God operates in ways that are beyond what we think he ought to operate. And we (laughs) aren't, aren't who we think we are sometimes in our relationship with Christ. So uh, let me go back a little bit with Peter and uh, run through his story real quick. Uh, So he first meets Jesus with a miraculous catch of fish. You might remember that. He's been fishing all night, hasn't caught a thing. He's a frustrated fisherman. Jake's dealt with a few of those guys, right? And Jesus, a carpenter, shows up and says, why don't you try throwing your net over on the other side of the boat? And I'm pretty sure Peter's like, what does this guy think he's doing? He's a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. He's telling me how to fish here? I've been fishing all night, haven't caught a thing. But okay, because you said so, I'll do it. And then he does. And then his nets start breaking. They start hauling the fish up into the boat, and the boat starts to sink. There's so many fish there. This is an incredible catch. And and what it causes Peter to do is to approach Jesus and go, okay, I've been hearing that people think you're the Messiah, but I'll tell you what, you should have nothing to do with me because I'm just full of sin. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I want to make you a fisher of men. Now Peter's like, whoa, what just happened there? And then he starts following Jesus, and he does that for three years. Because that was the first thing that Jesus basically said to him was, Peter, follow me. And he saw many miracles, and, and he heard many parables, and, and he saw all kinds of, uh, of, of uh, confrontations that Jesus had with people. And Peter's thinking to himself, this is it. This is our Messiah. No one else could, only the Messiah could do the things that he's doing. And, uh, and when, man, when he, when he silences those Pharisees, you know, those Pharisees that think they got Jesus all figured out, and then, and then you know, they, they all leave like, oh, man, he outthunk us again. You know, Peter's probably thinking, this is it. This is great. I can't wait for him to make his move, right? It's time for him to make his move. And in Peter's mind, in most Jewish people's minds back in that day, the move that the Messiah was going to make was a move something like Judah Maccabees would have made, and that's go kick the Romans out of the land. Okay, that's it. That's what the Messiah was there to do. Then he has this experience. Hey, look, I'm walking on water. Oh, hey, look, I'm sinking now. Jesus, help. <laughs> and he had, that, he had that one thing that, you know, everybody makes fun of Peter because he sunk in the water. But I'm like, he's one out of 12 that got out of the boat, actually did it. You know, and, and I think that was something he probably could have crowed about for a while. Yeah. So what? I made three steps on the water before I sunk. At least I got on the water. You guys, zip, zero steps. You all hid in the boat. And then sometime after that, he's camping with Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, I I need to show you guys something, and he kind of turns himself inside out, the Mount of Transfiguration, where the glory that's veiled by the flesh of Jesus just is there, and Peter's so impressed, he wants to pitch tents for everybody. He got to be there for that moment. And and then there was the time when Jesus said, so who do people say that I am? And Peter's like, ooh. I know, I know, I know. And, and Jesus says, okay, uh, Simon Peter, go ahead. And he says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Gold star, Peter. Nice job. 
only problem was, Jesus, I mean, Peter was quick to identify Jesus as the Messiah, but he was also just as quick to say, wait a minute, you're not the Messiah that I think you are. Because Jesus said, you're exactly right, Peter, that is who I am, and you all need to know that in a, few, in a little bit here, I'm going to be turned over to the chief priests and elders in Jerusalem, and they're going to put me to death. And Peter actually had the moxie to pull Jesus aside and say, oh, I don't think so, Lord, not you. That's not the Messiah's job description here. <laughs> and that's when Jesus said, you better get behind me, Satan. Hmm. I think Peter's starting to feel a little deconstruction happening with those words. And then it wasn't long after that, they're all at the Last Supper, and Jesus gives them the heads up that the time has come, and uh, when that time comes, every single one of them that are sitting with him are going to desert him. And Peter's like, not me. Oh, these other guys will, but I won't, because I'm the kind of disciple you want to have, Jesus. None of these other guys have quite figured this out, but I know what it means to be. Is he starting to sound like Elijah a little bit? I'm the only one. All these others might desert you, but not me. Even if I have to die with you, I'll stick with you. And uh, then Peter gets sifted like wheat. Let's go to John chapter 18. Oh, goody, I brought my Bible out of my backpack that has the tiny print. John chapter 18, um, I'll begin with verse... I can barely read the number. I think that's 15. And it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. This is right after Jesus got arrested. And Simon Peter, remember, I'll never leave you. He followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. We think that's John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of those disciples of his disciples, are you? And he said, Nope, uh-uh, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And then we have a little uh, discourse between Jesus and the high priest. So I'll drop down to verse uh, 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And so they said to him, You also are not one of those disciples of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the men who's, uh, well, one of the servants of the high priest, a uh, relative of the man uh, whose ear Peter had just cut off, okay, that happened during the arrest. Uh, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And then when you read the other Gospels, you'll see that when that rooster crowed, just like Jesus said it would, um, it says that Peter looked and Jesus was looking right at him, right at him in that moment. And, and here it is, in Peter's very worst moment as a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus had his eyes on him. I, I, if it would have been me that just got denied by one of my best friends, I don't think I would have wanted to look at him. I would have looked the other way. Don't know him either. But Jesus has his eyes on him. 
And then Peter went out and wept bitterly. Just real quick, I want to point out three things that I see in that story of Peter that I think are very relatable to you and I. And that was his denial. You remember, he was real quick to say, I'll never deny you. Not me. These other guys might, but not me. But Peter began to melt down. He began to get rocked back on his heels a little bit. And denial set in. And I, I see that denial coming not just three times, but it, it, it comes in three phases. And the first one is distance. Do you notice that when they got to the place where Jesus was, John went right in, but Peter, he stayed at the door. Sometimes in our deconstruction, that's what we do. We begin to draw back and we isolate because that's what we do when we're struggling and when we're in doubt. Now, the worst thing that we can do is remain in that isolation. So it's a good thing John went and got him and said, bring him in here. Because it's when we, when we withdraw completely, then our doubt grows and it festers and we don't have other people to encourage us and to help us. And that's when deconstruction remains deconstruction and reconstruction cannot occur. When our theology doesn't match up with the reality of who God is, we might find ourselves drawn back a little bit. I need to get a little distance here. The second phase of this denial was he began to blend in. Instead of standing out like a sore thumb like Jesus called his disciples to do, you know, be holy as I'm holy, instead he went and he joined the crowd that was around that fire and he kind of just blended in with them, hoping no one would draw their attention to him, but that backfired on him. And the same thing happens with me, you know, when, when God doesn't make sense within the confines of my human rea- uh, rationality, then it's very easy for me to kind of chameleon in with an unseeing, unbelieving world. And the reason that's so easy to do is because, well, I've already established some distance. And then the third phase of the denial was comfort. Notice what Peter was doing? Charcoal fire? I think I'll just come up here and warm myself. Let me tell you something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're comfortable, there's a lot of distance between you and your Savior. Because Jesus never called us to be comfortable. He called us to step out into a world. He called us to follow him. He called us to serve others. He called us to love our enemies. In fact, everything that I see Jesus commanding us to do in the Gospels isn't something that produces comfort. It it produces a lot of discomfort, fear, and anxiety, and things like that. But it's, it's when we launch into those things, into those uncomfortable places, that we find that's what God's grace was made for. And Peter didn't want to be uncomfortable, so there he is, warming himself by the fire. And then he says it for the third time, I don't know him. For the third time, he says, I deny him. And then he probably remembered Jesus saying something like this, deny me before men. I'll deny you before my father. It's no wonder Peter left weeping bitterly. He'd just been sifted like wheat. I've often wondered how Friday, the day of the crucifixion, how that went for Peter. I mean, he knew there was a cross. He knew there was a cross there, and he, and he knew that his rabbi and someone that he considered his best friend for the last three years was on that cross. And I'm wondering, does that cross make any difference for Peter on Friday? 
In fact, what difference does that cross make for you and me if we're so relatable to Peter? Well, I think the difference can be found in a second charcoal fire where Peter found himself sitting, smelling the same smell of his worst moment ever.
forsaken us and yet I am like Peter <laughs> I ask questions of your authority I deny you in front of people to save my own skin all of the sin that is in my life is actively turning away from you and I confess that that is something that I I don't look at because it's gross and dark and scary. But God, I just pray that you bring that sin out to the forefront, bring the things that we can't confess to you back into our sight so that we have to look at it, we have to sit there and see it. And I just pray that you help us turn back to you, Lord, because you are all that we need. You are the one thing that we desire, the thing that we chase after is you, Lord. So stories, especially the stories of failure, um, like the one Peter just went through, um, if you're like me, those stories um, just play on repeat in your mind over and over again. I know that the times in which I have, like Peter, denied Jesus, um, separated myself from him, I've gotten too comfortable in a place that is far away from him, those things just play on repeat in my mind. And I think the one story that was on repeat in, in Peter's mind was that story of him at the charcoal fire denying Jesus. And Nick left us there um, with his denial, with his betrayal, with his sin, but of course, we're here on Easter Sunday. Um, the story didn't end there, did it? The story didn't end with Peter's denial at the charcoal fire. But actually, right after this, Jesus is arrested. He's crucified. He's killed. He's buried in a tomb. And three days later, he's raised to life. And then, it was once he's raised to life, he goes on and he appears to the other disciples. Um, he appears to them a few different times. And what we're going to look at here is the difference that the resurrection has made in Peter's life, the difference that the resurrection makes in our lives for those of us who, like Peter, um, we have failed, we have sinned, we have at times denied our Lord. But the hope of the gospel, the hope of Easter, is that the story doesn't end there. But actually... Jesus comes in, and he rewrites this story. Um, this tape that's been playing on repeat in Peter's mind over and over again, 
is going to be rewound, rewritten, and made new. These stains of charcoal that are on Peter's hands are going to be washed off. And so we're going to pick up Peter's story here. In John 21, if you still have your Bibles open, we're just a few chapters later. And Jesus has already appeared to the disciples twice. And Peter was amazed, very encouraged by this. But now Jesus is going to appear to Peter a third time. I mean, I don't think there was a problem with the first two appearances. Um, but this third time here, I think there's something special about it. Um, this third time that he appears to Peter, there's something special about what Jesus says to Peter and what happens in this interaction um, where this failed disciple is going to get a new identity, a new calling. Jesus is going to remind him that you can always start over, that the power of the resurrection is washed away. Any sin from your past. And so we're in verse 1, chapter 21 there. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Okay, so the disciples, they had already seen Jesus twice. They had already seen the resurrection that Jesus is alive, this world-changing event. And what do they want to do afterwards? Well, Peter says, I want to go fishing, right? He's going. Man after Ray's heart, right? Um, But they fished all night, and they caught nothing. Does that sound familiar with maybe the story that Nick told us earlier? They caught nothing. And just like the story when Jesus first called Peter, when he first met him. Watch what's going to happen. Um, this is three years later, after everything that Nick like rattled through in Peter's life. Verse 4. Jesus is going to recreate that original moment. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. And I imagine they said it with not a very happy tone. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They're just right there, apparently. Uh, When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Peter's like, nope, I'm getting over there. (laughs) So if you remember this first time that Nick told us about, the first time that Jesus called Peter to be his disciple, to be his follower, Jesus said, Peter, follow me. Peter's response was, I'm a sinful man, Lord. Away from me. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I, I don't feel good enough to follow you. And now here... Surely Peter still feels that. I'm sure, if anything, he feels that more intensely than before. He has just rejected, denied Jesus three times. What can he say about himself now? But his response is pretty different. Um, and I think his response shows what our response should be on this side of the cross. Instead of feeling like, I'm not good enough, I cannot get into your presence right now, what Peter saw the need to do was just to go after Jesus, just to run to Jesus. It doesn't really make sense when you look into the details of why he 
took his outer garment off. Um, why exactly he put that on to swim? They were only 100 yards. It probably would have been faster to get there in the boat anyway. But Peter just knew, I need to be with Jesus at this time. And his sin, his denial, his betrayal, who he thinks he is at this point, doesn't keep him from drawing near to Jesus. Because the resurrection has happened at this point. And because of the resurrection, Peter's story has been rewritten. That denial, that sin, has been rewritten, made new. So all that's left to do is to run to Jesus. And that's what Peter is doing. Running, swimming, I don't know how shallow it was. There's that awkward, like, knee-deep trying to run water. That's how I imagine it. And it continues on. Verse 9. When they landed, got to shore, they saw a fire burning with coals, uh, a fire of coals burning there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153, to be exact. Um, But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, I think there was one detail that probably stood out to Peter most of all. And that was... What was Jesus sitting around here in this moment? Sitting around a charcoal fire, right? And that story that was on repeat in Peter's mind, um, a story of him standing in front of a charcoal fire where he had his worst moment, is now all coming back. If you know the, the strong smell that comes off of a fire like this, and you know the strong, intense memories that are related to smells, I'm sure all of that story of Peter's denial came rushing back to mind. Peter is able to vividly remember those words sneaking past his lips. I don't know him. I don't know him. That wasn't me. And his worst guilt, his worst shame there, the moment when he wept bitterly, It's being recreated here, but it's not being recreated to shame him, to bring that guilt back. It's being brought up here because Jesus is inviting Peter to face that, to face his worst moment, but now on this side of the cross, where his sins have been paid for, where he has been given new life, and where Jesus is going to enter into it with him. So in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time here, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And here Jesus again has recreated that moment for Peter. Those three denials, those three questions, have now been three opportunities to affirm that he loves Jesus, right? He's transforming Peter's worst moment. Those three worst failures, now three beautiful proclamations, of faith here. And so now, anytime Peter's mind can go back to that charcoal fire, to that smell, to that warmth, to that scenario, 
He doesn't have to think back to the time when he denied Jesus three times, when he denied him to all these different people, when he failed, when he let him down. He can go back to this time sitting on the beach at this other charcoal fire, speaking out to Jesus, know that I love you. Just as there was enough grace, apparently, um, to keep the nets from breaking, there's enough grace here that their relationship is not broken in this case, that the betrayal, the failure, is not enough to keep Peter from being in relationship to Jesus. Jesus has not written him off here. And because on this side of the cross, even that denial, even that sin, even Peter's worst moment has been rewritten. And one of the interesting little details that is here is that Jesus speaks to him as Simon, not as Peter. Do you notice that? He calls him Simon. Um, and so he's meeting Simon here, kind of addressing the elephant in the room. Well, if Peter means rock. Maybe he's not quite there yet. <laughs> Maybe he's not quite solid enough yet. Um, but for the sake of reconciliation, remember Jesus is he's bringing this failure He's bringing his denial back to light so that he can help to redeem it and to rewrite it and to be in there with Peter. Because here on the other side of the cross, Jesus is present. He didn't give up on Peter. He didn't give up on Simon, the one who was not a rock. And he doesn't write any of us off because of our sin here. But he's showing just how much power he has over sin and death. And that's what the resurrection is. The resurrection is a display of power The resurrection is this life-changing, transforming power. And it's fascinating to see that one of the first places we see the resurrection power played out is at breakfast, reconciling a friend here. This innocent little breakfast, there's so much more happening in this moment. Where Jesus is changing Simon, the denier's identity here, to Peter, the rock, on which he will build his church. He's reminding him, hey, you're the one. Remember I washed your feet. Remember I gave you the cup. Remember I died on the cross for you. And he's going to rewrite his identity here. And that's what the words, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, are all about. He's reminding him, even though you feel like Simon, you might not feel like Peter in this moment, I'm restoring your calling. You still have this calling from me to feed my sheep, to take care of my lambs, to be the rock on which the church is built. He reminds him, if you keep reading, you're still going to have the opportunity to die for me. Remember Peter was all gung-ho. He's saying, Jesus, I'll even die for you. And then when it came time to do that, he's like, nope, Jesus is saying, don't worry, you'll still have an opportunity to do that. That's what verse 18 is about. Very truly I tell you. (laughs) And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death to which Peter would glorify God. And church history affirms that that happened. And Jesus was reminding him, your calling has been restored. You're not just going to be stuck in that pre-cross state of denial, betrayal, follower. But no, you're going to be renewed. You're going to be renewed. And so Peter's story of being this failure of a disciple has been rewritten. His identity has been restored. He's not a failure. He's not a denier. He's invited to be a follower here. He's recreating the moment in which he first called him to follow him, right? He's saying, you can start over. You can start over. This is who you are. And he's rewriting his calling as well. 
that on this side of the cross, the calling, the use that I am going to use you for, I'm to reach the world, to, to be a fisher of men, still in place here. It's still in place here. And so after all those events, and after Peter had that interaction at the first set of charcoal fires, now a charcoal fire has new meaning, has a new story. And Jesus has picked up those pieces those pieces that might have just stained his hands with the guilt of sin, that smell that might have just gotten into everything that feels like you can never wash off, that was just playing on repeat in his heart and mind. And Jesus has given it new meaning. He's given it new meaning. This is actually a moment in which you come before me, you receive your new identity, you receive your new calling, where you're able to affirm and start over every single time Jesus, you know that I love you. And all of us, I think, at one point or another, as Nick said, um, can relate to Peter. At one point or another, or if you're like me, maybe 10, 20, or 30, um, we have denied Jesus. We have betrayed him in this way. And just as Jesus recreates that worst moment for Peter in order to rewrite it, to change it in his heart and mind, I know that he wants to do the same for you. I know that he wants to do the same for all of us that he doesn't want us to sit in that place at the first charcoal fire. But he asks the question of all of us, do you love me? And he gives us ample opportunity to proclaim that again, to start over. Do you love me? You're invited to follow me. You're invited to feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. That because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of what happened on Easter... That all the weight of Peter's sin that he's been carrying around this entire time was put on Jesus, and he no longer needs to carry that. And in a sense, Jesus here is reaching in Peter's pocket, and he's pulling out that rock. Right? For those of you who are here on Good Friday, um, we invited you, um, as we consider the weight of sin, to take a rock and to put it in your pocket, just as a reminder of our part um, in the crucifixion, of our, our sin that was placed on Jesus, um, and the uncomfortableness and the weight that we carried around from Friday until now, but the joy that on Easter, that was released, that was given up. Now, did anyone actually keep their rock? Does anyone have it? <gasps> Chris has got his, Antony has got hers. Look at you guys, Joey's got his. And so it was uncomfortable, and that's something that, that has built, it's built our anticipation to get rid of this. That this weight of sin that was on Peter's heart, Jesus is reminding him, that's not yours to carry. I carried all of that. That the stain of the charcoal, the smell that was on him, of sinner, of denier, of betrayer, has been cleaned. It's been washed. That because of the cross, all of that has been made new. And now the invitation is simply, follow me. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Serve me. And so... As we move back into a time of worship here, as we look at what difference did the cross make, what difference did the resurrection make, what difference does Easter make, well, it makes a big difference if you've ever sinned, failed, denied Christ. If you've ever had one of those stories of failure just on repeat in your hearts and minds, Jesus just invites you to bring it before him, to be washed clean, to have that smell lifted off of you, to have that weight taken off of you, 
And the difference that the resurrection makes is now you are free not to think that you are going to be just a fisherman stuck on this boat um, doing this tedious work that is going to lead to nothing but disappointment and failure. But now you have this direction from a Savior who apparently knows where the fish are (laughs) and who is leading you into something way better than you could have imagined, something that you wanted to turn to before. And so as we move back into worship during this next time, for those of you who are here on Good Friday and have your rock, great job. For those of you who weren't here on Good Friday, well, Jesus forgives even that sin. (laughs) But Sorry, is that too much? But (laughs) for you, um, during this next song, um, this is an opportunity um, to recognize that the weight, the gravity of that sin is now on this side of the cross only meant to point to the weight and the gravity of grace. Um, that that is not yours to carry. That because of the resurrection that you have been raised to life and you can put that rock in the basket. And for those of you who weren't here, maybe for you, um, you just sing um, with all that you have as Winter instructed us earlier. Or maybe for you, you just come up here and you want to just pick up a rock to recognize the weight of your sin And you can just put it back down again. Don't spike it too hard, though, because it might bounce. Um, But it's during this time that we're reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2. He says that I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So your story has been rewritten. Jesus' death on the cross has given you a new identity, a new calling, And now, as Jesus instructed us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so as we move forward and we consider what difference does Easter make, well, the difference is that we don't carry that sin anymore. We don't carry that old identity don't carry the smell, the stink of that first charcoal fire. But now we carry this great calling from our Lord and Savior to be his disciples, to take care of his lambs, to make disciples of all nations. And he promises here that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. So let's go ahead and pray. So Father God, um, we just thank you. We just thank you for your grace. We thank you that though we are not worthy, though we, like Peter, at times have denied you, but yet you still invite us to come to you. You still show up. You have given us a new name. You have given us a new calling. You have rewritten this story. And so, God, I pray um, for these people, for Common Ground Church, as we continue to move into this post-Easter world, when the weight of sin, when the the smell of the charcoal starts to come back and starts to remind us of the the sin and the shame and the guilt. God, I just pray that your cross, I pray that, that the freedom that we have in Christ would be louder than that story, that you would continually remind us that our story has been rewritten because of what happened on Easter, because you are alive, and now it is no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us, that the lives that we now live We live by faith because you gave yourself up for us. So we just turn to you with a posture of praise. We turn to you and we praise you for this work that you've done for us. As we see the hope that we have 
and the resurrection. So Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Yeah.
He is risen. Well, Common Ground Church, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. As you go, I'm going to go with the words of Hebrews chapter 12 here. That's that. Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back Jesus from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Well, grace and peace, Common Ground. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful week.